Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Welcome to Women's Hoops and Talks, where we are elevating the voice of women in basketball. We are part of the Almighty Baller Radio Network, and you can find the What Podcast in the Blazers Edge podcast feed. I'm Tara, and I'm joined once again by my co-host, Kendall. Kendall, it's good to have you back. Good to be back. I feel like it's been forever since we recorded, or since I recorded one of these. <laughs> it's been a while, and a lot has happened, both to our team the Portland Trailblazers yeah. and yeah. in the NBA. <laughs> I mean, I'm still not complete. I haven't completely accepted it. I keep like checking my app, thinking I'm going to see like a Blazers <laughs> score or something. Like, I still like have not mentally like accepted it yet. <laughs> that yeah. it's done, but yeah, yeah, you know, a uh, like. I don't really want to. I, I don't really want to talk about what happened anymore because it's like <laughs> I, I don't know that anybody. On the one hand, what happened is that Anthony Davis and Drew Holiday happened. Mm-hmm. <laughs> on the other hand, I don't know and, why yeah. the Blazers weren't more prepared for it. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think I think what this series really showed is that if Dame is not available, the rest of the team is just not strong enough to beat. A team like that, especially in the playoffs. I mean, obviously Dame wasn't injured or anything, but they were double teaming, triple teaming. Like they were throwing so much at him that he was basically just not available half the time. And I mean, I think I saw he was he only averaged like 18 points in the series, which obviously to the average player is a very good score. But I mean, for Dame, that's not good. And I think that just it it kind of Made the, it made it so that the rest of the team had to really step up, and they didn't. And that's I think that's a big um, issue, which I'm sure we'll we'll get into in talking about this summer. But I think that that really just shows kind of where this team still is is that it's they're not consistent enough, and Dame really is 100% holding this team together. Well, and even the role players who did perform 
you know, to their level of expectations. Like Al- Alpha Rukaminu had a great series. Like they mm. didn't go down because of Alpha Rukaminu. That guy was hustling the entire time, but his ceiling is not enough to make up for when, like you said, Dame is not available and able to reach his ceiling. So even yeah. the guys who stepped up, it just it just wasn't going to be enough. But yeah, let's actually instead of <laughs> dwelling on that, <laughs> let's let's look ahead and talk about uh, what you think some of the off season goals will be for the team. I mean, we we're not in their head; we don't know exactly what they're going to do. But with a combination of exit interviews and educated guesses, um, we can make some you know, I have some ideas about what some of the players or what the team might be focused on in the off season. Got any ideas? Um, well, I think the first thing that they obviously, I think they're going to be looking at is coach thoughts. Um, obviously the reports came out pretty much right after um, the series is over that his job was possibly on the line. Um, how much value that report had, I don't know. Um, but I think it was either I think it was this morning, maybe yesterday. So now it came out, they're saying they're not planning on getting rid of them. Um, but I think that definitely, at least they looked at that. Um, and they may still be, I don't know. Um, but as far as like the roster goes, this is the first, I mean, last year we didn't have any free agents. So I think this summer now also we have free agents and no cap space. Um, but there's, we have some pretty valuable free agents that are up. I mean, you see, you have Yusuf Nurkic, um, Ed Davis, Pat Connington, and um, who's the... Shabazz. that's right. Those are four people that I think, while I don't think any of those four are 100%, I mean, there's, there's no Dame or CJ, but all four of those have made huge, or have been huge assets to the team this season. I think out of those, the one that probably has been the least in a lot of ways, has been Nurkic, which in a lot of ways people are saying, oh, he's the big one they need to resign. Uh, but I don't. I think especially with someone now like Zach Collins, where there were so many games where they'd pull Nurk out and put Zach Collins in, and Nurk wouldn't play the rest of the game. Or he would only play a couple more minutes. And that was happening pretty often. And I think that that's kind of a sign that shows like, okay, maybe Zach, Collins isn't 100% ready to start, but I think that at the moment he's more valuable and they don't have to pay a bunch of money for him because I think Nurk might be going and looking for a lot of money, which the Blazers just don't have. Um, so I think I don't see the importance in re-signing him. I know I've, I've told you this before, um, but I don't think that they should unless they can and they can pull it off, but I don't think that they should they shouldn't get rid of anyone else just to sign Nurk. I don't think that should be a priority. I think the biggest priority of those four is Ed Davis, which I think a lot of people agree with. I think he, in so many ways, he is almost, even though he's not a starter, I feel like he is definitely one of the most important players on the team. And Yeah, do you feel like Ed Davis has kind of taken on the sort of Wesley Matthews or even going back to the old days? I don't remember. I don't know if you were watching like when Brian Grant was on the team, but I Mm -hmm. feel like Ed Davis is kind of sliding into that territory of like heart and soul guy, you know? Yeah, Yeah, I definitely think that. I think he, I mean, not just for the team, just as players, but I think just kind of the culture around the team. I mean, he is. I think 
I believe he's the oldest player on the team, right? Uh, I think Evan Turner might Is Evan Turner, be older, yeah. but they're they're both very they're close in age. Yeah. He's the so I guess him and Evan Turner are kind of the closest things that the Blazers have to vets, mm-hmm. which. I mean, I mean, both yeah. those guys have definitely been around. I, I, you know, yeah, but they're still they're still young, um, and but I think that still having them in that locker room is still. I think having just players like the longer they've been in the lead, even if they aren't adding as much playing value, I think just having people like that in the locker room is so valuable. That's why I remember last season. I don't know if I ever talked about this, but last season I was really pushing when there was reports that right before the Nurk trade that Blazers were going after Tyson Chandler. And I was a huge fan of that move because I wanted, not only do I really like Tyson Chandler, but I wanted a, a presence like that in the locker room. I think that's something the Blazers are really missing. So to have someone like Ed Davis, where like he's kind of the closest thing we have to that, him and like Evan Turner. So I think that, I don't think people put enough value on that side of it. Sometimes and people don't always pay attention to that because they don't maybe directly see that. Um, but I think that that's very valuable too. Well, and also, you know, we all have heard that the roster is not done yet. <laughs> I can't remember what Olshay's phrase was, but he was uh, reminded everybody yeah, that you know. <laughs> what was that? Didn't he say that last summer too? Right. Yeah. He's well. I yeah. mean, and also, I mean. To be fair, it's true. A roster is never done. I mean, it things are always changing. And even if you're the team from the Bay Area, you're still adding pieces around the edges. I mean, they just brought on Swaggy P last year. So things are never done. He was, he was, I guess, the final piece that they needed. But, um, but also just in terms of, <laughs> just in terms of um, having those guys around, they're guys who are willing to do what the team needs them to do. And they're willing to do it in whatever capacity the team needs to needs them to do it. It appears anyway, as opposed to somebody like Mello, who is still saying that he's not going to come off the bench. And, you know, so uh, uh, the, the veterans, you know, these older guys that the blazers have are there and willing to do whatever it takes to yeah. make the team better and to make the other players on the team better, which I think is a nice thing. But I want to move on a little bit to um, some of the individual goals that these guys might work on, whether or not they talked about it in the exit interviews or just like, you know, somebody always adds some new thing. Um, one thing that I was kind of surprised at with the uh, exit interviews is how much talk there was about people's weight. <laughs> I mean, Zach Collins obviously needs to gain weight. And then Evan Turner was said that his coach told him he needed to not come back heavier like he did last year which I thought was kind of funny but I I do think a really important offseason goal for Zach Collins is going to be putting on muscle um, because you know he showed a lot of promise in a lot of ways but he's going to have to uh, bulk up to uh, I think fulfill you know the most of his promise that he's shown us so far I don't I don't think it's, I don't know if it's too late for Evan Turner to really get to up his the uh, three point percentage shooting. 
you know, there were times this year where he really came through in that department. And then there were times where, you know, he was shooting 17%. (laughs) So going back to what you were saying about, you know, consistency, that would help. But whatever it is, whatever they work on, I think somebody needs to go on like uh, like a social media campaign to tell everybody that they're working on it so the other teams can like start preparing and get scared. So like that whole hoodie mellow thing last summer, which was ridiculous and I can't believe people actually fell for it, but people do fall for that. So I think we need to have like some sort of social campaign with like Ed Davis and three point shots or something like that. Get all the other teams worried. Like, Oh my God, did Ed really add a three point shot? Yeah. And as far as like, is it too late for someone like Evan Turner? I mean, I don't think it's ever too late. I think, I mean, this comparison's a little, it's a, it's a little off, but I mean, if you look at a player like DeMar DeRozan, who, Mm -hmm. Obviously, he's a much higher caliber player than Evan Turner. But still, I mean, he's known for never shooting threes. And when he does shoot them, he usually doesn't make them. And all of a sudden, he's still not shooting a ton of threes this season. But he shot way, I mean, he was shooting way more and he was having a much better percentage. So, and that's something that he said, like, he's worked on a lot. So, I think that's. Like, I think it's too late for Evan Turner to become a Dame-level three-point shooter shooter or CJ-level shooter. But, I mean, I think to be a solid, just like a threat at the three-point line, I think it's not not too late for any of them. Well, what are you most excited about for next year? Or I should start off with not assuming anything. Are you excited about next season? (laughs) And what is it you are most excited about? Well... I mean, I'd love to say that I'm excited, but I was super excited going into this season before the summer, and then the summer really disappointed me. Mm-hmm. So, um, obviously, I was very happy with how the season turned out, but going once the season started, I was not as excited as I was before the summer because I was really thinking, oh, we're going to do something over the summer. We're going to make some sort of trade that's going to at least slightly make a difference. And I was excited when we got Zach Collins because I watched him um, in college. I watched him or I watched him play when he was in college. So I was excited for that. But that was really the only thing that had me excited going into the season. Um, So I'm as of right now, I'm going to say yes. But I'm also very hesitant based off of what happens this summer. Mm -hmm. So I'm really hoping that something happens. And at least now, since we have free agents, we're going to at least lose Wait, people. something has to happen at this point. Yeah, yeah, something has to. So I think we're in a situation compared to last summer where they could, they could get away with not doing anything. This summer, they can't really get away with not doing anything. And especially coming off of a season where we were the third seed, I think there's more pressure for them to do things. So I'm excited for that. I'm excited to see what happens for the summer. Um, as far as how next season's going to be um asked me in October Mm -hmm. (laughs) after everything happens and then I may not be I may or may not be as excited but hopefully I'm more excited by the end of summer that's the goal is that they do something that gets me more excited I'm actually just trying to prepare myself for a very boring summer I mean like you said like they have free agents so at the very least they have to re-sign their free agents and 
Like that would be the minimal thing. And at least, you know, it will be interesting news to find out how much they sign everybody for. But I'm trying to just prepare myself that basically nothing is going to happen again this summer. It would be awesome if something did because I love it when things get shaken up a little bit. I mean, I love the team as it is. But I think when you introduce a few new elements, that makes everybody have to pay attention a little bit harder. So I get continuity being something important, but also I think continuously introducing new things here or there also keeps everybody sharper. So I'm hoping that something happens, but I'm trying to just mentally prepare myself for another summer. And I just hope we don't like make another trade and stretch another player because that's like the least exciting. That's like, like negative exciting. It's not like yeah. it's worse than not exciting. It's like negative exciting when they stretch up, they get a player and stretch a player. Yeah, that's yeah. I think they I mean, they have to do something. And I think that kind of where they're at right now is they're probably going to have to get rid of someone that maybe fans don't necessarily want them to get rid of. And I think I don't know who that would be, but it, it could be someone like an Aminu or a Moharkless or someone like that where fans don't necessarily want to see them gone, but that might be the only way to get something back that's really going to make a difference. So I don't know. So you know how I'm on this Aminu Appreciation Society thing that I'm that's going on? So in addition to how well he played over the season, how well he played in the playoffs – his contract, his salary actually goes down next season. <laughs> He's making like $400,000 less next season. So like everything about him gets better all the time. Like he is like the fine wine on the team. It just gets better and better. Well, let's move on and talk about the NBA at large uh, before we we have a really great interview that we're going to end the podcast with. But before we do that, let's talk about the series that are still going on. Now, I know that you continue to watch even after the Blazers are out because you are a basketball fan, not just a Blazer fan. Um, so of the playoff basketball that you've been watching, what are uh, some of the favorite matchups that you've seen so far? Team-wise or player-wise? Oh, either way. Well, I mean, I am very excited that uh, um, this Cavs-Toronto matchup is going on right now. I think uh -huh. it's, especially after tonight's game, I think tonight's game really showed that this is going to be a very exciting series. And I, I knew this was going to be an exciting series, so I was hoping that's what it would be. And I feel very conflicted in the series, too, because I don't know who I'm rooting for which is weird to me. I rarely ever don't know who I'm rooting for. I usually feel very strongly about who I'm rooting for. And um, I honestly don't, I go back and forth because obviously my favorite player is DeMar. So I want to root for him. And I, I think the Raptors deserve it after the season they've had and all they've accomplished. But I'm also very much on the side of, I want to see LeBron succeed. I want, I don't want to see him get knocked out in the second round. I would love to see him win the championship, but then, like I'm also a big supporter in the in the or I'm a big believer that LeBron is the best player of all time and not Michael Jordan and a big argument against that is the ring argument and I think that 
as much as I disagree with the ring argument, I would love to just see him get six rings so that people stop talking about it and have that not be an issue anymore. Yeah, so I feel very conflicted. I think it would be exciting to see the Tavs get knocked out. I think that would be really cool to kind of watch, but at the same time, I don't want to see LeBron get knocked out. But I also like hate the idea of the Warriors making it to the finals and the Cavs not. Mm-hmm. That, like, I think that would hurt LeBron's image a lot too. So I hope that if the if the Cavs do get knocked out before the finals, I hope the Warriors do too. Yeah, and it would be just two completely new teams. That would be that would be that would be pretty interesting. It wouldn't probably be as good of basketball or as dramatic of a story. I think a, a great storyline would be the Cavs making it all the way to the finals, but every series going seven games and LeBron averaging like forty five minutes, and just all of us watching this incredible feat of like you know, human endurance. Cause that's what it's really become now. It's not just about basketball. It's now become a, an endurance race for him <laughs> to get through yeah. this. And I think that would be an amazing story. Like, you know, with the, the season before both the Cavs and the uh, team from the Bay area, you know, really had a pretty easy time getting through uh, at least until the very end. Uh, but then this year having it be completely opposite for LeBron and him having to just every series drag it out as long as possible in order to uh, carry his team to the wins. And if anybody can do it, it's him. (laughs) Yeah. And it's fun to watch him do it. I mean, it's stressful watching the end of the game seven between Pacers and Cavs. That was stressful. I I was very stressed out during that series. But it's great basketball. It's so good to. It's so much fun to watch. Just has a. I feel like it would be much more enjoyable to watch if I didn't care who won. But because I, in that series, really, really wanted the Cavs to win, it was very stressful. <laughs> so. Speaking of losing in the first round, and we're not talking about the Blazers, how about those uh, Oklahoma City Thunder? What What do you think is next for them? Is it it's I mean it's got to blow up I guess right or is Paul George gonna stay or I mean that was terrible I don't think there's a chance at all that Paul George stays I think especially after Mello's exit interview that's showing that I think Mello's gonna be an issue next season more so than he was this year because if he's saying he's not gonna come off the bench when clearly if you watch any of those games he needs to be coming off of the bench. He's not the player yeah. he used to be. He hasn't been in years, and he's still a solid shooter, but he should not be a starter. Not not on a team like that. He should not be a starter. And he doesn't believe that, and his ego's going to get in the way. Um, so I actually saw uh, – I heard an interesting thing where people are talking about, like, oh, what, like, are they going to – just let him start if he decides to stay, if he takes up his player option and, and stays, because no one else in the league is going to pay him $28 million a year. Like he's not making that money anywhere else, so he'd be stupid to not take his player option. Like he'd be stupid to not take that money this next season. So he's going to do that. But then what I saw is people were saying, like, okay, well, are they going to put him in a position where they, like maybe they don't want to be paying that money? 
So they're going to say, no, if you're staying here, you are going to come off the bench. And then that puts him in the position of, okay, is he, what matters to him more, the money or coming or being a starter? So I, I could easily see that happening. And who knows? I mean, I, what, what does he care more about his ego or his money? And with Mello, I don't know. <laughs> like, I think, I think that's, I honestly could not tell you, I could not, I don't know what he would do. And um, I kind of hope they do that. I kind of hope they, because I don't think that he should be dictating whether or not he's a starter. No. I mean, again, it goes back to like, you know, those veterans who know what, that their role is to do whatever the team needs. Yeah. And he is not there yet. <laughs> well, and the other thing, what do you think about, we touched that you were a guest on the Blazers Edge Weekly podcast. That was really fun. I hope you had a good time coming on. Um, but what do you think about the, uh, the idea that you, uh, the Portland, you know, Portland, trading for mellow and sure it's a 28 million dollar cap hit for this year but if you're able to trade away two contracts that would go on for two years would it be worth it to just like blow it up for a year have it just be up in flames but have that cap you know basically um have a little bit of relief from this cap trouble a year earlier um I think in theory it wouldn't be a terrible idea, but I don't see OKC taking anything from. I don't think they really want anything from us, honestly. I think the pieces from us that they would want are the ones that we wouldn't be giving up. So right. I don't really see a deal there that would work. I think in theory it would be great if they could make it work, but I think. I just don't see anything that would make sense that both teams would agree to. Well, they could do Evan Turner and Mo Harkless and Evan Turner could be like the quote unquote secondary ball handler. I don't mean Russ is going to take 43 shots in a game, like, you know, give Evan Turner, like, you know, four mid range jumpers. That could be like a good, a good role for him. And then, you know, uh, Maurice Harkless could just run around. I just th I choose those two because they add up to roughly the same salary as uh, yeah as Mello. I don't know. I like at first I was like absolutely not not in a million years. That's a terrible idea. Who in the world would pay Mello twenty eight million dollars? But then I realized, oh, but if if Portland took on that contract, it would it would shorten the pain. I guess. <laughs> well, another uh, question would be. Would Melo be coming off the bench in Portland or would he be starting? Well, I think he could start in Portland because, you know, what else would, I mean, I don't think we're there, you know, Portland's pretty thin in, you know, what, what does Melo play? Is he like a two, three or a three? He's like a three, right? Yeah. So yeah, let him start. Yeah. You know? Yeah. He Give, can start. Let him let him start, but have him play bench minutes and let pa Pat Connaughton develop behind him. Or I don't know, maybe we're maybe now we're in Jake Lehman territory because Pat yeah. has walked. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I always afraid this is next year's going to be the year that we all remember Jake Lehman because like every single person that I know right now, every time they see Jake Lehman, they're like, "Oh yeah, Jake Lehman's on this team." <laughs> yeah, I mean, he, he forget he's there. 
Well, and then they put him in for a minute. They put him in for a couple of minutes, and he plays really well when he's in. He just never plays. Yeah, yeah, and like time timeline wise, you know, next year would be the year that it's like, okay, we're really going to give you a shot, and if you can, if you can prove yourself. But for now, I'm going to turn and I'm going to talk about our guest that we um, are going to have are having on. Her name is Whitney Medworth, and she is the NBA assistant editor engagement at SB Nation. So Blazer's Edge is one of the team fan sites of SB Nation. So she like works at the mothership um, and she as a covers, you know, NBA wide. I spent a lot of time uh, just kind of learning like what her job is because it's like uh, kind of it's social and it's, you know, events. It's a, a lot of stuff going on. And it's like the type of job description that never would have existed like 10 years ago. So it was just interesting to find out how the, uh, you know, SB Nation runs their social uh, engagement for the uh, for the NBA. Mm-hmm. We talked a lot a bit about how social media helped her actually switch to a new career and then she also writes a a fun column called the b-sides which is about all the other things that go on that are interesting about the nba and it's uh, fun and she talks about some of the stories that she does and some of the experiences that she's had as a result of covering the nba and she's also a pacers fan so we start off the conversation by talking a little bit about how the pacers did in their playoff run this year so um, let's go ahead and roll the interview uh, with Whitney Medworth. Whitney, thank you so much for your time today. As an NBA writer, you are probably totally swamped right now with playoff coverage. So I really appreciate you taking a little bit of time out of your busy schedule to talk to the Women's Hoops and Talk podcast. First of all, I want to congratulate you as a fan of the Pacers on how your team did in the playoffs. I'm, although, are you allowed to have be a fan of a of a team? <laughs> Yeah, the nice thing about um, working at SB Nation is that's sort of what SB Nation is built on, is being the fan perspective. And so, yeah, um, you know, you don't want to be like a crazy homer, but they definitely, um, it definitely allows the freedom to to geek out and get excited about, um, you know, whoever you may be cheering for or, or your favorite team or whatever that is. So as a fan of the, of the Indiana Pacers who just, gave LeBron James all that he could possibly handle in the first round. How yes. are you feeling about how your year went? It's really interesting because a, a year ago, um, LeBron and the Cavs swept the Pacers in a four-game series, but the, the series was really close. I think it was like 16 points between all four games. Um, and it was kind of LeBron's best match series throughout the playoffs last year, even though it was a sweep. Um, but the the looming like Paul George, is he happy here? Is he not? Is he going to leave? Was like really daunting as a fan. Um, it got really heavy and and dark. Um, so this year, um, just the it was like the team hit reset in like the happiest and fun way possible. And not only were they happy and fun, they were good. So you know, it was just really enjoyable and you know, you kind of look at that series and you think the Pacers really kind of were the better team. And, you know, maybe it was their chance to finally knock off LeBron, but, um, you know, I'm just excited about it and happy about it. And the future looks really bright. Um, the young team and 
2019, they're going to have all the money in the world to spend. So, you know, if, if next year goes well and they don't, you know, waste any of the money, you know, the, the opportunities are there. And it seems like Oladipo might, you know, be a guy that could convince, you know, not a top free agent, but, you know, maybe a that second tier in there. Oladipo seems like a guy that might be able to convince somebody, you know, hey, come here for the basketball. It's great. And, you know, not going to convince you on the, the living, but I think, you know, if there's somebody out there that wants to win, you know, the, I think the plus side of this is in two years, if things continue, it could be pretty good. So we'll, I'm going to stay positive and, and enjoy this and um, hope next year is just a, a next step in that. Well, good luck to them. It was really fun to watch them take it. I mean, it's on, I was very conflicted in the series because I just, I never want to, count out LeBron because he's and he's just so fun and he's so fantastic to watch but it was amazing you know watching Indiana adjust to try to do everything they could to take him out and for him I mean they may have worn him out I mean I don't know if that's possible but last night he said he wanted during his press conference he said he wanted to go home he was tired Like, that's unprecedented I could not believe he said that like oh my gosh it's it's almost like are you getting older, LeBron? Is this really happening? You know, so, as, a, as a fan, I wanted the Pacers to win, but as someone who covers the league, I kept thinking, I don't necessarily want to go the rest of the playoffs without LeBron, though. Like, you know, I got, yeah. I, I need that and I, I want that. So, you know, it's a, it was, I guess, sort of a win-win for me in that regard. But, yeah, LeBron, he's really having to carry the Cavs right now. Um, and... I don't know what will happen against Toronto because that Toronto bench is really good. Um, so I don't know. Well, it, it'll be really impressive if LeBron can, can continue to work his magic through these playoffs. I wonder if anyone's ever played uh, 48 minutes per game for an entire series. I mean, at age 33, year 15, I mean, it's, it's remarkable. I, I read that he drinks a lot of Fiji water uh, he won't. I guess he won't say that out loud. He won't endorse it, but he does. So, I think I'm about to start drinking. Yeah, I'll start, water start too. I do that. We could stock up on that. Although yeah. uh, when when he was still in Portland, uh, Lamarcus Aldridge had two 40 plus point games in a row against Houston in the playoffs, and he said that he'd been drinking coconut water. So everybody in Portland started drinking coconut yeah, water. Yeah. And then he left, so the coconut water sales just bottomed out after that. I know how that feels. <laughs> well, again, thank you so much for taking time. And I'd like to go ahead and uh, learn a little bit more about you. I mean, I know that you are a writer and editor at SB Nation. But uh, I'm curious how you got into sports and basketball in particular, how you ended up as a writer and doing what it is you do today. Yeah, I took a kind of a winding path. Um when I was in school, um, journalism was definitely something you could do, but social media wasn't. Um, and everything that kind of exists now um, in the digital space wasn't really there. Um, so I obviously played basketball growing up and did some stuff at, in college with it. But in college, I really was going to, I went to school for uh, sports management and event management because to me, that was kind of the easiest way for me to stay involved with sports and and do events. So I started down that path for quite a while. Um, Even after college, I went to grad school. And and even after that, stayed in event management and sports for a long time. 
um, but started to um, be on Twitter around, you know, 2008 and 2009, like everyone, everyone else started to, and, um, you know, started to build up my account. And I really, uh, you know, truth be told, I grew up a huge Lakers fan. I actually didn't grow up a Pacers fan. Um, but I grew up a huge Lakers fan and I got on Twitter to follow the Lakers more closely, but as, um, basketball Twitter, as they call it, or NBA Twitter or whatever, uh, you want to call it started to grow. Um, I noticed that there was no real presence for the Pacers. They weren't very good at the time. And, uh, I just noticed that they didn't really have a Twitter presence much in terms of fans or people following them. So, um, strategically I thought, you know what, I'm going to try this a little bit. And so I kind of got into the Pacers niche, started going to Pacers games a lot. Um, they used to do this deal where if you tweeted at the Pacers, um, who would be the leading scorer after a game? Uh, so you predict for a game. So they had a game on a Tuesday night. Before the game, they'd ask, who's going to be the leading scorer? Um, back then, the only literal option was Danny Granger. So <laughs> if you always – so a friend and I, you know, I one of us would always tweet Danny. The other would tweet somebody else, take your pick for the night. Um, and we were rarely wrong because the Pacers were terrible. That's all the options they had. Um, so we got free tickets, I think like in the Oh nine season for like almost every home game. Um, so it it just kind of started this thing where I was tweeting more and I just started to build up, um, a little bit of a brand on Twitter while I was still doing event management. It was just kind of doing it for fun. Um, and then in 2000, I mean, this is, I did this for a long time. I, I started to write a few places like 8.9 seconds, which is a fan-sided blog. Um, but it really wasn't until 2015 that SB Nation reached out to me um, and asked me to join their social media team. And I had been trying to kind of, you know, build my brand in a way that a potential career switch could come. Um, and so 2015 was the first time that it sort of started to come to life. And so I worked part-time for SB Nation social media for a while. Um, and then eventually just that continued to grow and it got to the point where I could do it full-time. I switched over to the NBA team um, at SB Nation and it's just all sort of kind of grown and snowballed into what it is now. And I, yeah, I did the whole big old career switch, went out of event management into the media side of it. And that's where I am now. So it was kind of a winding path, but it was always sports the whole time. Um, I just kind of eventually decided I wanted to go to the other side of it, which was, which was the media side. I want to probably get back to some of the questions about social media and Twitter, but I want to learn a little bit more about the, the work that you're doing now, the writing that you do, and in particular, give you a chance to tell people about the B-sides because I love your B-side column. They're super entertaining. So can you explain a little bit about the types of things you write about now and in particular about the B-side columns? Yeah. So my job is a little bit of a, I do a little bit of everything. So my, my technical title is I am the uh, assistant editor, which is really sort of a a deputy editor role. When people hear assistant editor, I think they immediately think that it's just um, probably straight up like, you know, editing pieces as they come in. But but my job's a little more wide ranging than that. So I'm planning out content for the day. I'm, you know, monitoring engagement, uh, monitoring traffic. Is that for the whole of M- the NBA portion of SB Nation? Yep, the NBA portion of SB Nation. Um, I'm also, uh, you know, working through our social channels to make sure our content's being distributed in the right way. 
looking for new content, always looking for new ways to distribute things. And then one of the biggest things that I do is I run our live coverage. So, you know, as for example, yesterday we had a team on working for the game and I'm sort of, you know, the coach for the day is the best way to describe it. You know, getting people in the right spot to cover the things we need, getting our content out there for people to read it. Um, and then, you know, making sure we're hitting all the angles, whether it's at night or we're writing follow-up pieces for the next day. So definitely directing traffic and, and making sure the entire entire ship is running and then also coordinating that with our the dot-com accounts to make sure, you know, those social folks are getting our stuff out as well. So it's a little bit of everything. And that was probably never taught when you were studying in college, right? Because that, that type of thing didn't exist. Did you Anything that you learned about event planning, though, that you apply to doing yeah. this type of management? I think that most people would probably – I think most people and, you know, when you switch over and I'm in media for the first time, you know, technically it's a whole new world. But a lot of it really just has been management. And, you know, being in event management, I was managing – all kinds of different departments within the stadium. You know, if, if say a concert comes in and, you know, the, the artist requests 20 different things, you know, you have to work with all the departments within the stadium to get those 20 things. Well, so many of those skills transfer over to, you know, running a live, a live event and making sure, you know, that, that copy edit has the piece and that social has the piece and that, you know, it's getting all the places it needs to go. So it's all it's all so transferable. Um, yeah, I didn't go to school for it, but I definitely when it comes to the management part, the stuff I learned, you know, running events is is so valuable to what I'm doing now. So is it like every night is like a big event? Because I'm like stressed out just listening to you describe all the different things that you have to do. Like how stressful is it? And to do that every night? It's- it is stressful. Uh, it definitely is stressful. And the better the games are, the more stressful it gets. Um, you know, if it's a blowout, it's kind of like, okay, it's a blowout. But, you know, when LeBron is is giving you quotes and giving you plays and he's bleeding and, you know, all the things that, all the things that people want to know, you know, it, it is, it's a lot. And you got to make sure you don't miss any of it and, and you're coordinating it all. So, yeah, the playoffs are tough because it just, it really doesn't stop. But I try to just remind myself, when I get to a point where I'm, you know, a little over it, I'm like, okay, but you're watching basketball, you know, watching basketball, you're covering LeBron James, you know, if you're going to be busy, like this is a pretty great way to be busy. So I try to, I try to keep that in mind and not get too, not get too stressed out about it. But like everything, you know, you need a little, you need a little break here and then because it can be a lot. Yeah, I bet. I bet you um, do off season pretty hard. <laughs> um, oh, we try to, but the NBA has it never stops. They would like to take up the entire year. Um, they have really gone and and started to, you know, free agency now is such a huge thing. I mean, mm-hmm. now like Fourth of July is. Uh, hope you have a porch or something because you're going to be sitting outside on your computer, you know, waiting for Gordon Hayward to make his decision all day. So. Yeah, it's the NBA really, and the season started two weeks earlier this year. They're uh, they're really trying to make this be twelve months. But yeah, when we when we get a chance in August and September, we definitely hit the reset button. 
Well, good. I hope you take care of yourself because I'm highly entertained by your writing. And again, your B-sides. So tell us a little bit about what the B-sides are. Yeah. So um, the writing, writing isn't my number one job, but the cool thing about working for SB Nation is if, if you want to do something or something piques your interest or there's something that you're just really good at, they're going to find a way for you to do it. And we had talked about, you know, getting everybody that works on the team, regardless of what they're um, number one job is to do to get their voice out into the internet a little bit more. And, you know, this summer in the off season, we talked about ways for me to do that. And, you know, there's enough people covering the X's and O's of the game and the, the rumors and the, you know, analysis. But, you know, one of the things that's always sort of been my brand online is stuff like B-Sides, which is everything else that we like about the NBA, you know, it's the Instagram posts, it's the outfits they wear before the game. It's the inside jokes. It's all those other weird quirky things. And so um, that's what we came up with as a way to kind of expand our coverage and, and put my voice out there is to give me that space to just celebrate everything that's fun about the NBA. That's not, it's not necessarily the highlight plays um, because the NBA gives you plenty of that. Um, and so, so that's what B-Sides is. And it was, it was fun to do. Um, we did it every Friday during the regular season, putting all the other stuff out there, DeMar DeRozan and Kyle Lowry's friendship and Kyle Kuzma and, uh, Lonzo Ball roasting each other all the time. And, and, uh, just all those, all those fun things that go on outside. What, what do you recall as some of your favorite ones from this year? My, one of my favorite things that happened was the very first one I did, I wanted to put a section at the bottom that was my favorite photo of the week. So it was just going to be um, a cool photo I found. Maybe it was a funny photo. Maybe it was just like an incredible photo that, you know, a team account took or something. Um, I didn't really have a, a limit on it. I just wanted to showcase, here's a really great photo from the week because you see so many of them on Instagram and Twitter now. And so the very first one happened to just be James Harden. It was just a great photo of him. And then the next week I found another really great James Harden photo. And I was like, okay. And, and then the third week it, I was like, here's another great James Harden photo. So I was like, I wonder if, if I turn this into my favorite James Harden photo of the week, if he can keep up for the entire season. And he did. I had no trouble finding incredible James Harden photos, whether it was, his clothing, whether it was a candid, whether it was like a really cool in-game shot. I mean, the guy came through every single week. Um, and so it turned into the column or the, the last part of B-Size turned into my favorite James Harden photo of the week instead of just my favorite photo. And I don't know if I'll, if that'll go on next year or not, but I just, I couldn't believe that never once did I have to sweat and to, to find a great James Harden photo. They were just there all the time, all year. Did you ever have any weeks where you were really stretching to try to find Uh, something? (laughs) I would be lying if I said that some weeks didn't produce as much as as others. The way I would do it is, so I'd write it usually Thursday night-ish. But what I would do is just as I scrolled through Twitter and Instagram through the week, if I saw something even remotely close to B-Sides content, I would copy the link and throw it in in a notes app. Um, and so then when I'd go back on Thursday to write it, I would usually have quite a big list and then I would cut it down to things that still seemed relevant by the time I got to it. So for the most part, I usually, my list was long enough. I could pick out the best parts, but I mean, I'd be lying if I said a few weeks 
it did seem like the NBA had just taken a complete nap and I had no, <laughs> I had no content to, to use. Yeah. Sometimes those weeks right leading up to the all-star break can be a little I, rough. <laughs> everyone's feeling tired, you know, yeah. writers, so, players, everybody. Did the story of Evan Turner's The Truck Crashing in His Pool make it to one of your B-sides? So what I tried to do with B-sides is, and this was hard and it was something I had to to try and balance. If I thought it was something that everyone absolutely already knew about it, I wouldn't put it in there. Oh, okay. I, I wanted B-sides to be stuff that I didn't think people knew so much about. So I didn't want it to just be a roundup of the week and most people would read about things they'd already seen. I wanted them to come to it and see, you know, it, it is my job to be on the internet all day and it's not everyone else's. So mm-hmm. I wanted to give them all the things maybe that they had missed and, and give them also things to look ahead to there for a while. Um, Isaiah Thomas was wearing like a really creative shirt every game on the bench. And some people might not have noticed that, but I pointed it out and then it was a a running thing for a few weeks and people would send me, you know, like, here's Isaiah's new shirt. Thanks for pointing this out. I didn't know I needed to be on Isaiah shirt watch. And so I I try to just give people some new stuff that they may not have seen in the, the news cycle already. So I know a lot of people who follow the NBA, love the NBA, and are totally not interested in getting on Twitter. They just don't want to have anything to do with it. And I I can't say I blame them because, you know, you hear all kinds of things about, you know, what goes on on Twitter. What would be your sort of elevator pitch for why people who love the NBA might want to check it out? And like sort of how can they go about it without just like burning their eyes out the first time? I think what can be daunting for people about Twitter when they're just getting started is where to start. There's so much out there um, that it it can be so overwhelming, and I could see that. Um, I think what the best thing about Twitter is is that you get to make what your timeline looks like. So, you know, you could start with some people that you know you really like. If there's people that you really like to read their content or people you see on TV you really like, I would start with them and then just continue to build out your your Twitter feed and, and have it be the stuff you like. If 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 X if if hard X's and O's and breakdown of of plays and stats is what you like, you could make your your timeline look like that. If you want jokes and just <laughs> the light side, there's plenty of of that on Twitter for you too. So it can be daunting to start, but I think once you start to figure out those personalities and voices that you like, and you know, even some of the team accounts are really great to follow. Blazers is one of them. So I think you can really tailor it to provide the experience that you want to provide on Twitter. And that's what I would, that's what I would recommend you do if you, if you aren't, haven't already done that. Great. That's good advice. So uh, stepping back, you know, maybe from, from the social stuff, although include it if you want to, what are some of the most memorable things that you've experienced as a result of covering the NBA? Yeah. Um, the coolest thing I kind of, I got to go to the all-star game this year um, for the first time as media. That was just a really great experience. Um, I went to a media day with with the East and the West. I guess they weren't East and West. It was LeBron and, and <laughs> Team LeBron and Team Steph. Um, Did you ask any questions during from the media? Yeah, so we went in, and the plan was to um, have the players tell us. So it was, it was the uh, right at the time of the Olympics. The Olympics were big then. So we did, who would be on your bobsled team? <laughs> um, 
And so we asked as many players as we could. It's a scrum. You know, you're running from player to player trying to get trying to get questions. So we we tried to get as many as we possibly could and ask them. And it was really fun because some players were super into answering. Uh, Carl Anthony Towns was one of them. James Harden was really into it. Uh, Kyle Lowry was really into it. Uh, Victor Oladipo was. Um, so it was really fun to see some of those players like totally buy in and give us, you know, an, an actual answer to that question. That was, that was a new experience for me. Really cool. Really fun. Really happy that I got to go. Um, you know, we did the game and slam dunk contest, but you know, from your media seat, it's actually a better experience on TV, um, than, than to do it that way. But, uh, getting to talk to the players and spend a little bit of time, uh, not making them answer, you know, whatever drama is happening around them, you know, letting them just kind of show their personality a little bit was, was really fun. Did you find any of the secret tunnels in the Staples Center while you were there? We did look. We snuck around a bit. I went with Hector Diaz. He is a social producer. Uh, he lives in L.A. He's a social producer for SB Nation. It was the two of us for the weekend. And we did try to sneak around a little bit. We uh, actually ended up on the court, not on the court, but in the area of the court and lasted there for a couple of minutes before they realized our credentials were not for that area. And then we, we, we didn't cause any trouble. We just, we did try to find the tunnels though. What are you looking forward to most about uh, next season? I mean, I know you're still working hard with the playoffs and then there's the off season and stuff, but what are you looking forward to in the next year? Yeah, I think, you know, the biggest thing is, I think we're just all going to wait for LeBron and see what he decides. He kind of determines the entire league based on his decision. But I'm I'm really excited about all these new players that are coming up. New Orleans looks really fun, and I know they did. I know they didn't so play good. well. They didn't play well in Game One. I know that against the Warriors. But I mean, the future there is nice. You know, Philly is fun. Ben Simmons is incredible. You know, so I think I think we got some new fun players. I think the league's in a good place. Still all revolves around LeBron a little bit, but uh, I think it's in a really nice and fun place. And hopefully my Pacers can can continue to, to make a jump and, and, and build on the success they had this year. You know, I'm I'm really curious about when guys like LeBron and these these older statesmen, let's call them, of the league, when they turn into I guess the older elder statesmen of the league, like when it stops being about like when they admit, like I'm not in my prime anymore, but I'm all about bringing in this new generation. Cause like you said, yeah. there are some phenomenal rookies and first year players out right out there right now who are like making a difference and just tearing it up in the playoffs. So I, I don't know, you know, if there's ever been a time where these guys who are in their mid to late thirties go, okay, I'm going to start, you know, building for the future for this team. Do you think players are ever going to start or are they are doing it? I'm just not noticing it. Well, no, I don't think they really are. I would say that maybe Dwayne Wade is trying that maybe. Okay. Yeah. He sort of, he did pretty well at accepting a bench role going back to Miami. And I know that situation was all kind of strange, but he seems like he has transitioned nicely into being the old dude. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. Carmelo has not. I know yeah. that's that was going to be my next thing. Like talk about somebody who has not. <laughs> I think I think Chris Paul is trying in a way. I think he. I think in him going to Houston, he's. I mean, he's still playing a ton and getting a ton of action. Let's not act like he's really reduced his role. But I think 
in going there, he knew, I mean, he de- he's deferring to James Harden now a bit. So, you know, he kind of is. And I've always wondered about LeBron. He's so good at so many things. Like, I feel like he'll be able to mold his game for so long to do things that preserve his body. Now I say all that and he's playing 45 minutes at age 33. So I don't even, you know, that maybe he'll play 45 minutes forever. I don't know. But he seems like a guy that could so easily mold his game in a way to save his body and and play forever. So And he seems to me like a guy who could actually mold a team. You yeah. know, like who could I mean if anybody could be both the president, the general manager, the coach and the star player, <laughs> you know, it's it's LeBron and I just I feel like his his next step has got to be building for the future wherein, you know, he's running a team or he's owning a team and, and it's just amazing to me that he keeps playing at the level that he's playing at. That's why it's so interesting to me to try and wrap my head around what his choice is going to be. I mean, mm-hmm. is he going to try and help? You know, Cleveland will potentially have a good a good draft pick. You know, is he going to, you know, try and continue to build that? Is he just going to go try and win more? You know, I, I really don't know where his head's at. I would assume he wants to win. It feels like he still wants to win. So, you know, it's, going to be really interesting to see i guess he could just keep signing one-year deals until he you know someone makes him happy somewhere so yeah yeah that could work my one of my favorite uh off-season storylines is has to do with free agency but it's the all the like where guys take their meetings you know and like all of the different things that yeah. the teams do to t- to try to woo them and i feel like this year is like i think they ratcheted it up every year and i think this year is just really going to explode the types of things that the the teams do to try to convince the players i mean the classic is you have kevin durant you know located out on an island that it's really hard for anybody to get to and then the team brings the virtual reality glasses like that's sort of like Right. That was a big deal. I can't wait to see what they am, um, what they do. I'm really interested. As someone who has spent so much time following a team that had Paul George on it, he's quite an impressionable guy. So this goes to what you're saying. If these teams are pulling out all the stops for, for Paul George this summer, I, I don't know how he's going to choose because he, he really likes whatever's right in front of him. Hmm. And so I don't know what he's going to do when he has – Magic Johnson and a lot of trophies and Los Angeles lights in front of him. I don't, I'm really interested to see how those meetings affect him. And I think it goes with right what you're saying that I think teams will go crazy. Yeah. uh, Let's not forget the classic Blake Griffin. um, Oh my God. (laughs) Pulling out all the stops and then trading him halfway through the season. Those t-shirts. That they I made. forgot about that one. Oh boy, yeah. Yeah, man. Those. What a collector's item those must be. Oh. To get your hands on one of those. That would be feel, amazing. I feel bad for Blake now that he's in Detroit. I feel like you know, it goes back to that bigger discussion. You know, should players just take care of themselves? Teams are just a business. I mean, it's a, it's a whole. There's a whole other side to just what goes on on the court. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Well, Whitney, it's been so awesome talking to you. And uh, we always end up our discussions with uh, other women hearing about who is a woman who you admire in basketball. Yeah, Um, I'm going to easily go with Candace Parker on this one. And and my reasoning is Candace and I are about the same age. We even I even back when I played AAU, 
I did never, I never beat a team that Candace Parker played on, but we were, we were in the same place a lot of the time. So someone that I've known about for a long time and, and Candace has had her struggles, um, but with, with injuries and, and all sorts of things, but to sort of at her age now is like climbing back to the top um, and has sort of like retaken her place at the top of women's basketball. You know, she was always that big name, but with her injuries and, and the Sparks had a few down years and now she's back at the top. She's starting to become an analyst. I, I think she's really setting up her future really well post basketball. I think that the work she's been doing, I think people are going to be, I'm sure they already are clamoring for her to be a part of their basketball future, whatever that may be. So I, I really admire her for her work ethic and continuing to be the face, you know, of women's basketball, despite the ups and downs she's had through her career. And that, you know, anybody at hitting their mid thirties as I'm getting close to, um, and seeing other people my age, like Candace, you know, continuing to thrive is really inspiring and, and makes you think that you can do such a thing as well. So I, I'm a huge, huge Candace Parker fan. Awesome. Yeah, no, I, I really love watching her and I love her voice. Something about her voice just is, is really soothing and I could just listen to her. There's, there's certain people who could just, I could listen to them talk forever and yeah. her voice happens to be one of those. I, mean, I, I think she maybe wants to do this TV thing because she is. And so I think that's great. I mean, if, if that's what she wants to do, I think she's perfect for it. So, yeah. um, I, I want her to keep playing basketball for as long as she can too, but, but <laughs> you know, and it, What's great for her is that so many women have to go overseas and play and it takes a toll on their body and it's a lot of work. But, you know, Candace is getting to a place where, you know, she can play in the WNBA and then, you know, do things like be an analyst for the NBA during her off season, which I think is incredible. So that I think that's all really great. Yeah. Well, thanks for bringing her up and talking about her. I will also link to some information about her. Now tell people how they can find your work on the internet or wherever they can um, find up what you're up to. Yeah. Um, if you want to follow me on Twitter, uh, the handle is at it's underscore Whitney. Um, and then uh, SBNation.com, head over to the NBA section uh, you can see me on there if you want to just Google, you know, SB Nation B-Sides, as in the other side of a record or a tape. That's that's what B-Sides is. Um, you can find me there as well. So uh, any of those places, any of those places will work. All right. Well, thanks again for joining us. It was really a pleasure to talk to you. And um, I hope that we get to do it again someday. Absolutely. Anytime. That's going to do it for this edition of the Women's Hoops and Talks podcast, the What Podcast. We're hosted by Blazers Edge, part of the Almighty Baller Radio Network. If you like what you heard, please go find the Blazers Edge podcast on iTunes or Stitcher and subscribe, rate, and review. We release new episodes of the What Podcast every other Thursday. If you just want to get notified when the podcast episodes are released, you can follow us on Twitter at Hoops and Talks. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at, at KendallBennett16 and Tara is at TCBBid or Team Mom Rip City. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. 
With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical.